The Commercial Real Estate Show is an informative radio program for thought-provoking enlightenment. The show, nor the station, host, or guests through this show audio are providing legal, accounting, or other fiduciary advice. For representation to suit your specific requirements, engage an experienced professional familiar with your company, property sector, and market area. For recommendations to professional providers to suit your endeavors, you're invited to contact the host at commercialrealestateshow.com. Enjoy. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Well, today we have the pleasure of discussing Emerging Trends in Real Estate 2014 with Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren with Price Waterhouse Coopers or PwC. Emerging Trends is a publication of PwC and the Urban Land Institute that provides an outlook on U.S. investment and development trends real estate finance and capital markets, property sectors, and then metropolitan areas and other real estate issues. The report draws on formal and informal surveys of real estate executives, investors, developers, and market experts around the country. Uh, Their survey responses are from over 500 real estate executives and personal interviews with over 150 industry leaders. And of course, they also use uh, data from, from trends in history in the real estate market and the current market. Mitch, Andy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And, and Mitch, to help our listeners and, and viewers get a perspective on, on what you're actually sharing with them today, how long has emerging trends been around, and why is it so anticipated and respected out there? Um, well, it's been a, this is its 35th year, so it's the longest-standing uh, industry forecast. And you, you got it right on the front end. It's Emerging Trends 2014, so the publication is uh, predictive in nature, and uh, you got it wrong, however, we interviewed and received surveys from over a thousand real estate market participants, actually from around the world, uh, regarding the North American real estate market. So uh, the one word I would use to describe emerging trends is durable, because it's really withstood the test of time in terms of its predictive nature. Uh, well, what are some of the big themes from this year's report, Mitch? What do you see? Well, you know, I think the, the one I'd start with is interest rates. Um, think about when we were doing our interviews, uh, starting in July and finishing up uh, late September, early October. Interest rates, the, the taper tantrum, as people were calling it, was on everybody's mind. And one thing that really was glaring was, you know, to an interviewee, everybody felt that the market really was able to shake off a rise in interest rates because we saw a rise in interest rates during that time period. And it really didn't chill investors' optimism about uh, the asset class. And going into 14 with the reality that rates may be, uh, you know, 100 basis points higher, it didn't really seem to dampen people's concerns. And the reason for that is if rates go up because of something that the Fed does, the Fed's going to do what it does because the economy is improving. And it's really the strength in the economic recovery that has everybody bullish on uh, commercial real estate. One thing I'll, I'll just throw in there just to you know, help color that uh, in, a, in a positive light is if you look at the sentiment index that we have within emerging trends going back historically to 2010, when we asked our market participants for the first time what they thought about the profitability of the industry, 17.7% of them thought it would be good to excellent. Well, if you compare that to today, almost uh, more than two-thirds of the market participants, 67.8%, 
feel that the prospects for profitability in the following year will be good to excellent. So that really tells you that the rate story really isn't something that's going to chill the market. So we should all be doing the uh, Snoopy dance then, right? The Snoopy dance is always a good idea. <laughs> so overall, I'm actually doing it right now in my office. The problem is you know, we're not Skype, so you can't see it. Okay. Well, you know, our theme is lead, learn, and laugh, and we'll add dance to that for you, Mitch. All right. Fair enough. What, what about development? If sentiment is positive, uh, is development back, and, and, and what, are the, what are your folks saying about development? Andy, you want to take that? Yeah, I think, you know, development being back, it's back uh, from in certain sectors. You're seeing a lot more industrial development now than you did before. Obviously, the multifamily development is continuing. But in, far, in terms of the interviewees, there was a lot of optimism uh, that not only the people who wanted to develop were developing, but the people that were going to provide the capital were interested in hearing the story. So you had both sides talking, and it was getting there. And just a general agreement that fundamentals were to a point where development was going to begin to make sense or it's that period where you want to start talking about it. If you wait too long, you miss it. So it's a lot more positive feedback in terms of what they were hearing on development. And the one thing I'll pile on on the back end of that is, and I know, Michael, you're Twitter friendly, so we have a slide that says tailwinds are the new headwinds. And I think that that's a big reversal of course here where there's enough uh, positive momentum from a corporate profits from a housing starts perspective and economic growth to really drive the economy forward and pull the commercial real estate sector along with it. I mean that's a good point I mean if, if in construction comes back that helps a lot of people because you've got more transactions and that really helps everybody involved in this industry doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, what's interesting is if something bad is a vicious cycle, something good is a virtuous cycle. Um, the construction industry really drove a lot of our economic expansion prior to the crash in the market. And if we see housing starts and commercial real estate development taking hold, that'll be helping the economy, which will be helping the asset class. So it's a really good cycle if we can find our way into it. And I think we're going to start to see some cranes in the skyline. And I'm looking at your chart on business prospects improved. So talk to us about who is bullish on the market and maybe who, who is not out there of the groups that you talk to. Um, I think that uh, lenders are more bullish. Uh, developers, I think, are always bullish. Uh, <laughs> um, the brokerage community, uh, and we'll probably talk about that in a later, sentiment, later segment, is, uh, has a positive sentiment. Um, I think the, the bearish ones, I think that there's, you know, I often say there's got to be a buyer and a seller at every transaction. So there's always somebody on the other side of a trade. I think there are some uh, buyers out there that when they're interviewed for a publication like this, still wear their bear costume <laughs> and not their bull costume. But the fact of the matter is um, when they sell the asset and they have capital, my guess is they're still investing in commercial real estate. Right. They may be uh, poo-pooing the market, but they don't want competitors out there, right? Exactly. Well, and, and, Mitch, you talked about the, the residential construction and, and that boom coming back. Is that sustainable, and how much will that help commercial real estate? Um, well, I, I think it's clearly sustainable because the trajectory of um, recovery in housing isn't that steep, and it's gradual, and it somewhat mirrors the economic recovery that we're having as a whole. Um, but there's two sides to that. There's jumps in price um, 
of homes, which is driving some of the uh, activity. Uh, and that's more of a supply and demand story. But then there's the, the construction starts. And if you look at housing data, it can be a little noisy month to month. But we're, we are seeing a bit of a secular trend in terms of folks jumping back into the housing market. And I think that that's going to have a positive knock-on effect for commercial real estate. Okay, so you think the, the funds that have bought a lot of houses and in some markets uh, maybe driven up the price a little bit, and of course the demand, you don't think that's going to have a, a, an impact on the residential uh, housing market? I, I think it's more about uh, affordability, and I'll, I'll let Andy uh, talk uh, about the, the Home Affordability Index because I think that that's really what the story's about. Yeah, we, uh, we look at the numbers, and housing probably hasn't been more affordable in the last 20 years. And we're kind of at a point in the cycle where, as the economy improves, we're seeing more people getting jobs, we're seeing incomes go up, and even banks' willingness to provide mortgages, it's beginning to ease a little, or, you know, the restrictions are easing a little bit. So you've got a combination of rising incomes, affordable housing, the ability to get a loan, and so we're starting to see more people want to buy houses. And that that is pushing up prices a little bit, so you kind of get a, a tipping point as a, if affordability kind of tips the wrong way. But right now, it it's very affordable. Anybody that can buy is feeling comfortable enough to go out and buy, and that's kind of keeping the market going. Well, what is the sentiment on affordability as it relates to, to rising interest rates in uh, housing? It's, it, you know, it's comes down, and Mitch probably has a better take on this, but it comes down to how much it moves the payment. And you have to have interest rates move significantly. I think it's more of a uh, shock when you first people hear about rates going up, and they may pull back for a month or two. As Mitch mentioned, the housing data is very noisy from month to month. But once they kind of get into that context and get comfortable with it again, they come back to the market. And I think we saw a little bit of that in this year. Well, but and the, but the corollary is what are rents doing if you aren't buying a home? Because we have, uh, and I know you know our friends from from Reese were just on your show. Um, we've got a multifamily vacancy uh, rate that's you know at an all time low. We have housing formations that are that are back. People have to live someplace, and I think that buying a home, if deemed affordable is a positive alternative to renting. Absolutely. And we're going to get into some of those rents and cap rates. So we'll take a break. More on Emerging Trends 2014. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related topics, check out our on-demand show podcast. For example, we just produced a show on the apartment market and a show on retail and retail real estate. There are lots of interesting shows to choose from. Just grab your uh, cell phone and visit iTunes or commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing emerging trends in real estate 2014 with Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren with PwC. And guys, what is another one of the the major trends that that you heard uh, doing this report? 
Well, you know, last year we talked about the chase for yield being something that was driving activity in 2013. In fact, it, it probably uh, started to reverse course when rates started to pick up. But we dug in with the, the question, um, and one of the things we do with our publication is we challenge ourselves to figure out if what we said last year was right. So in the interview process, we really dug in with the yield chase. Um, and what we found is there's a new trend emerging, which is the, there's as much appetite for real estate as there was last year, but it's not yield for yield's sake that's driving people to the asset class. It's really the quality of real estate-related cash flows that's of top of mind for investors. So one of the things we, we, we did was we, we talked about the notion of authenticity. And if you think about the fundamentals that are driving returns, um, we've got um, occupancy heading in the right direction, and we have uh, NOI growth heading in the right direction and the prospects for continued improvement in real estate cash flows is what's attracting investors to the asset class, uh, not just yield for yield's sake. Um, so something we've seen in the last couple of years is value appreciation driven largely by cap rate compression, but the income component really wasn't there. And I think that there's probably a chart up right now while I'm speaking, which really speaks to the fact that the trajectory of the lines from an occupancy perspective and an NOI growth perspective are really there, and it has investors interested in investing. Yeah, and what are the expectations for increases in NOI? Um, Andy, you want to take that? Um, I think we, you know, minimal or not minimal, I guess. You take a baseline of 3%. We're looking at going over the next uh, three years anywhere from 4 to 5% growth in NOIs on kind of a, that's an aggregate of all the property types kind of rolled together. So, you know, it's not uh, double digit, but it's significantly more than we've seen in the last five years. So it's enough to get people excited. Yeah, yeah, it's very positive. That's what people are looking for. If they're looking for the cash flow, they're going to see those increased cash flows. And and what effect, uh, you, know, you talked earlier about interest rates and, and their effect on some of the markets. Let's talk about that a little more, if you will. What do the interviews, interviewees tell you about interest rates and, and particularly into uh, resale uh, values and, and how it's affected the decisions to buy investment properties? Um, I think that the, the good news on rates is that if the trajectory of the curve of the increase in rates is um, something that is scalable, um, meaning you, know, you can climb up it without you know, having your heart rate go anaerobic um, <laughs> if, it, if you were walking up a hill, I think that the, um, the asset class and investors in it will be able to handle it. And what I mean by that is um, if we see... Um, NOI growth sort of keeping pace with uh, an increase of cost of capital, um, I think that the, the market can digest it. The other thing we're hearing, though, when we talk to lenders is that um, underwriting standards are getting a little looser and uh, spreads are compressing because the profitability in banks is improving and banks are chasing real estate loans. Um, so if we have competition amongst lenders and we have free capital flows um, I think that the increase in rates won't be that great. And I think there's something to remember, and we heard this loud and clear from our interviewees. If you look at real estate investing over time, um, we did more real estate activity when rates were 400 basis points higher than they are right now. So it's not the cost of capital that um, is a concern to uh, market participants, it's the availability of capital. And if it's available, 
um, the market will move forward. When we've had crashes in the real estate economy, it's because the spigot of capital dried up. And how do your interviewees feel about the underwriting and the accessibility of capital right now? Um, I think, by and large, they're they're somewhat um, bullish on um, the accessibility of capital, and we measure this uh, a bunch of different ways. Um, but by and large, we've seen year over year improvement in the uh, outlook that um, our market participants have on the, the accessibility of both debt and equity, um, and um, the underwriting of those um, outlays by the, the folks who provide the capital. And where's the majority of this uh, lending money going? Is a lot of it still going to, to multifamily, or is it getting spread around a little bit to the, the various sectors? And do you want to take that? Yeah, but there's a, yeah, obviously the significant portion is going to that, but there is capital available for, uh, for instance, uh, we talked to some interviewees for retail projects in secondary markets who are now finding capital available that maybe two years ago or a year ago was much more difficult to get. So it is beginning to go to other property types and, and projects. And I think that goes along with uh, lenders being more comfortable with the asset class and beginning to expand kind of the universe that they're willing to look at in terms of deals. So they feel better about the underwriting. How about underwriting for new construction, new supply? Uh, as long as there is a story, there still has to be a story. It hasn't gotten to the point where they're going to take your word for it. Uh, I think one interviewee kind of used the example of uh, a cat doesn't jump on a hot stove more than once, and he says at some point it won't jump on a, a cold stove either. And he's he used that to kind of illustrate banks kind of got burned a little bit by development financing. So they're still being cautious, but now they're to the point where they are listening again and and actually would like to do more development lending. It's just the fundamentals are kind of not quite there yet that they're comfortable really ramping up. I see. And how about sources for uh, capital now? Where Where are the sources coming from? Where do people feel like they're going to be able to get uh, investment capital and, and loans? Uh, probably what we're seeing in terms of an increase is the regional banks was one that uh, a source that people think will contribute more in the coming year as they look forward. National banks obviously have still been active, but the regional banks they think will be more active. And they're a strong belief the CMBS market will help fill part of that need and especially in secondary markets and maybe some product or property types that have a little bit more of a story behind them. Yeah, clear, clearly the CMBS story is going to be a big one in 2014. Uh, we, it led to the list in terms of lending sources uh, for 2014, and it really has been a laggard uh, in past year's survey. So I think that's the story. Uh, the ability to, to price bonds and sell them really sort of underpins the fact that there is liquidity. Um, and if banks have to compete with CMBS, uh, we'll see uh, bank lending uh, as well. The other source that I think is a story, and maybe it's going to be a huge one in Emerging Trends 2015, so you heard it here first, um, is shadow banking. And it's the role that funds that are aggregating capital and putting them out in the form of somewhat conventional financing uh, will play um, in commercial real estate. I think it's going to become a bigger and bigger story uh, in the months and quarters to come. 
Okay. And we're, uh, we're at the, a break here, but if you happen to be listening to the show on the radio, uh, when you can, get to uh, YouTube and check this out because the charts that, that these guys are talking about is incredible. You can see what's going to happen in the years ahead. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Each week here, we focus on a topic of interest to business owners, entrepreneurs, and real estate people. Be sure to catch shows of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Today, we're discussing emerging trends in real estate in 2014 with Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren with PwC. And uh, Mitch, uh, you mentioned, I think, briefly the millennial population earlier. Uh, what is the significance of the millennial demographic to commercial real estate and, and apartments? Well, let me start first with the, what I'll call a megatrend. And one of the things we're doing at PwC is really studying the, the top megatrends that are going to drive world economies. Uh, and one of them deals with demographic shifts. And I think that there's a real estate story underneath it. In 1950, 8% of the world population was over the age of 60. In 2000, it was 10%. But in 2050, that's going to be 21% of the world population. So we're really heavily focused on the population of millennials. I'll let Andy sort of describe what the millennial population is and then really talk about um, what that means for commercial real estate. And do we have a chart on this one? Yes, we do. Oh, great. Yeah, the millennial you know, population, it's... People have been talking about it for years. Sometimes it's called Gen Y, Millennial. It's kind of that group that's coming of age now, graduating from high school, college, entering the workforce. And you mentioned apartments, which is kind of the first thing that comes to mind, where they want to live. They want to live in an urban area. They don't want to drive. We have a chart that uh, looks at kind of the drop in licensed drivers under the age of 24 and how that's been decreasing. They want to live, they want to work, and they want to play in the same area. And this is really beginning to have an impact on, you know, neighborhoods in major cities. But it also it's impacting cities that you wouldn't expect. A market like a Las Vegas is, you know, kind of booming now, but it also has the number one growth rate in that age group of uh, younger people kind of moving into it. And it expands significantly beyond just apartments because many of the interviewees we spoke to this year regards to office they are reconfiguring their offices going to the more open collaborative floor plans that allow people to kind of just come in you drop your backpack you work one person use the example it's like going to work at starbucks you're kind of right there and you're kind of sitting less less of the structure and the formal offices and they ad wildly admit that you know they have to do this to retain this group if the, this group has a skill set that they want so it's not really so much just you know people are skeptical and say well you're just doing that to cut your square foot per worker and it's cheaper it really isn't that they feel it's more of an hr cost which is much more significant than the real estate cost in their total uh, business model and they have to do it to compete so we're hearing that and in retail 
a lot of the retailers that we spoke with mentioned that the growth area is following this group back into the urban area. Uh, used to be suburban expansion, putting up shopping centers. They expect that to come back as the housing market recovers and won't completely go away, but they're spending a lot of time now designing formats that will work in urban areas. Uh, you know, maybe it's a two-story store or something that kind of will cater to this group. So we're seeing, you know, kind of that impact all across, and then that filters into the industrial sector where, you know, you're setting up, they're buying more things online, so you need more fulfillment centers. So we found that it touched much more than apartments, but really spread across all uh, the major property types. And, and, you know, two things to remember, the the cohort that we're calling millennials um, or sort of Gen Y, is 28.5% of the U.S. population, so wow. it's the single largest cohort, uh, and that's we're defining that as 15 to 29-year-olds. So if you think about the decisions around commercial real estate, shopping, living, all are going to be made in the years to come by that cohort as the newest entry into the housing market, the, the shopping market, et cetera, et cetera. One other thing that Andy talked about, which I wanted to circle back to, which is part of this urbanization theme, um, and it's another one of the mega trends that we at PwC are focusing on. By the year 2050, uh, there'll be a 72% increase in the population of urban areas around the world. So uh, one of the things that market participants talked about in this year's survey process is the urbanization of suburbs and the ability to turn areas that were once upon a time rural and then became suburbs into having an urban feel, to Andy's point, where people who don't want to have cars, so the proximity to transit hubs, uh, the ability to allow people to you know, work, live, and play um, in, a, in close proximity is really going to be driving the decisions and is something to watch closely. So I guess we'll have a, a lot more mixed use as uh, we give up briefcases and get into backpacks, right? Back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put everything in there. All right, we're, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of the top markets in the U.S. with Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren with PwC. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. You're invited to check out Commercial Real Estate Show TV. Yes, uh, visit YouTube and search for the channel Commercial Real Estate Show, especially for shows like we're doing today where you've got some excellent charts that not only look at where we've been, but where we're headed. Today, we're discussing emerging trends in real estate in 2014 with Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren with PwC. And Andy, what are some of the top markets geographically around the U.S. where investors are wanting to place their money in 2014? It was uh, the survey this year for the results that turned out to be a little more of a diverse group than we had seen in previous years, which I think was good. Obviously, we're still seeing um, tech markets continuing to lead the pack. San Francisco, San Jose, 
very high on our list of markets for this year. But you also throw in the state of Texas, which is doing, you know, seeing an economy grow far above the national average. Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin, all in the top 10. Uh, you throw San Antonio in the mix, which is in the top 20. You've got all four major metro areas of Texas as uh, top markets for this year. Um, another change that uh, is kind of notable is we saw markets like Orange County, California, and Miami move into the top 10. Those are markets that were beat up pretty badly by the housing uh, uh, bubble bursting. Uh, they've worked through those issues. Uh, I think people view them as attractive places to live. They've got fairly diverse economic bases, and people are beginning to look at those markets again and are uh, find uh, some value there. So those were kind of the top 10 markets that we saw this year. One thing that we talk about in the report, which is a little you know, notable, is kind of the decline of Washington, D.C. We Washington, D.C. slipped into kind of the bottom uh, middle of the list of markets that are highlighted by investors this year. And, you know, we think it's really due to kind of Fed fatigue. That market was so strong during the downturn because the federal government held up. Now we're seeing kind of what's going on with the uh, fiscal cliff talks and the uh, budget ceiling talks and all the uncertainty about regulation coming out of Washington. And it's beginning to have kind of a blowback effect on that local market. And it doesn't hurt the fact that uh, a lot of money did flow in there, so you're seeing new development kind of going on. So I think investors are taking a wait-and-see approach to kind of see how the market absorbs that, see if anything kind of straightens out with the federal government and how that might impact the economy going forward. Yeah, that's a very interesting market in D.C. We did an interview uh, with a, a big tenant rep there in D.C. called uh, Office Tenant Strategies, and it's interesting to hear about that market. If uh, you haven't heard that show, uh, check it out. And, let, and let's talk about the office market, guys. How, how, do, how do your your interviewees, how do they feel about the office market moving forward? I think the, you know, fairly positive. I think we talked about the trend that the office market is going through a little bit of an evolution. Obviously, Central City CBD office is more attractive right now than suburban. Uh, in fact, that would be some of the most negative comments that we heard from interviewees were about suburban office locations. And I don't know if that was they were caught up in the moment of their conversation and were thinking about the millennials and everything being urban, but you know the kind of the sector is kind of beaten up and that it'll have to kind of redevelop. And uh, Mitch touched on this a little bit, kind of that reurbanization of the suburban location. But in terms of office, uh, you know the demand is back. Office employment is growing, uh, and we heard that not just from energy and tech companies, but there now there's talking some financial service growth in markets around the country, starting to kind of backfill some of this, not your tradition, or more of your financial planner, kind of that local user is kind of growing, so we're seeing demand from that. So the office sector, a little bit of a mixed bag, I would say, with the central city and CBD being more attractive and suburban probably trailing a little bit in the cycle. And, and Michael, maybe this is near and dear to your heart, being amongst other things in the investment sales business yourself, but uh, one of the things we look at is the buy, hold, sell um, barometer, if you will. Uh, so CBD, there's more buyers than there are sellers. However, in suburban, there's uh, a lot more sellers than there are buyers. 
so um, I, I think we may see more transaction volume in CBD office than rising prices and compressing cap rates uh, in 2014. Yeah, that's an inter- interesting slide that you have there. I mean, it's a very segmented recovery, isn't it? So, so there's a lot of opportunity out there, and I guess if there's more sellers uh, in those suburban-type properties, uh, maybe some of those Class B, there may be some good opportunities, right? Yeah, and when we look at some of the markets that moved, you know, we ranked the top 50 markets in the country. Some of those historically suburban markets um, that are sort of uh, proliferated with suburban office product have fallen down a little bit in in the rankings relative to those markets that are more sort of emerging in terms of their economies. Um, So I don't think suburban office is dead. What I think is happening is um, sort of uh, your, your father's suburban office is uh, needs to be repurposed for it to be of interest to the millennials. And I think that is uh, a trend we did hear from people that with the suburban office market and the condition that it is, it offers the opportunity to go in, buy a building, and then maybe get it at such a basis that you become kind of the dominant landlord in that submarket. And you can kind of, it's actually that may be a play that makes suburban attractive in the near term. Yeah, I think there's a good good opportunity in the office investment market for sure. Well, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about industrial properties and, and warehouse properties. We're also going to talk about retail and what the interviewees feel about the retail market. So stay tuned with, for uh, Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren on emerging trends in real estate for 2014. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for sharing the show on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We do very much appreciate it, and I think your friends and followers will as well. Well, today we're discussing emerging trends in real estate 2014 with Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren with PwC. And Andy, there, there seems to be a lot more buyers for warehouse properties than there are sellers. What's driving demand there? I think they the, slowly the fundamentals for warehouse improved much faster than people anticipated it would. I think it started with uh, the economic recovery and the import and export of goods. Those markets benefited the explosion in uh, online retail and selling, so it drove demand for fulfillment centers. So we saw it from that end, so the market began to improve. And then we're now beginning to see the smaller side of the market improve with the housing market improving. So. Things are just getting better in warehouse, and to be honest, there's a lot of warehouse that's going to be obsolete. So there is a demand for new space, even though maybe the vacancy rates aren't as low as you had anticipated that. So that's really kind of piqued everyone's interest in industrial right now. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And, and I'm going to say this again, but if you're listening to this on the radio, you might want to listen to it again or watch it on YouTube so you can see these charts from this report. It's, it's really excellent. And Mitch, let's talk about retail. How do your interviewees feel about retail real estate? Well, from a sort of buy-hold-sell uh, perspective, uh, it's really all about neighborhood and community centers, and that's really tied to the housing uh, resurgence. 
but the other thing to think about, and I'm going to tie into what Andy said, retail sales are on the rise. They're not necessarily in stores because the trajectory of growth in the uh, online retailing is, is, you know, is, is very predictable. It just keeps going up. Uh, but the fulfillment centers of tomorrow aren't necessarily the fulfillment centers of the past. Think about warehouses. What's happening is stick-and-brick retail is actually becoming the fulfillment center for many online purchases because if you buy online as opposed to buying uh, in the store, that instant gratification just isn't there and you can't go home with the item, so you want it quickly. But what's the closest place to deliver it? The store itself. So there are some big electronics retailers, some big office retailers who actually fulfill online orders out of the closest store with their own trucks and get it to you, in some cases, the same day. So I think we're going to see sales activity and the use for traditional stick-and-brick retail um, helping drive the online. So uh, the, the two components of retail sales are working in concert for the first time going to create demand for commercial real estate. Well, that's fantastic. And that instant gratification, it's really true. I mean, I bought a TV last weekend. It was too big to get in my car. And I'm like, well, I can't take it with me. I don't really want to buy it then. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, it was I, either too big, well, it's either too big to fit in your car or your car is too small, one of the two. Oh. So you could have also bought a new car to solve that problem. <laughs> you know, I got one of those little tiny smart cars, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I, I see the smart cars, but why do they look dumb when they're driving them? I'm sorry if you have, if you have one. I'm sorry. But why don't you do a show on that, Michael? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, guys, you, you, your interviewees felt more positive this year than they have in the past. Does that mean we're going to see a lot more transaction volume? Yeah. If you look at the overall buy, hold, sell sentiment across all property types and all markets, um, I think it leads to uh, an uptick in uh, transaction volume. And maybe that's what uh, um, many of the interviewees wanted to hear, so they Ouija boarded it that way. But when you have a thousand people who participate in the survey, it's really difficult for one constituent group to, uh, to create self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, I don't think we've been wrong in the last couple of years in terms of our predictions on transaction volume. And this year the survey uh, is suggesting uh, an uptick and history would tell us that it's probably correct. Well, it is an excellent report. I urge everyone out there to uh, read it. Mitch, uh, Andy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. For more, for more information from Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren and the good folks at PwC, visit pwc.com. Well, can you join us next week? Well, I hope so. We'll have a good look at the industrial market. You heard what's happening there. Get to know more about it. There's some opportunities there. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by your friends at Bull Realty, France Media, Atlanta Office Liquidators, and Wiseman, Noack, Curry, and Wilco. For more information about these companies or to access additional show podcasts, videos, or blogs, visit commercialrealestateshow.com.